We have made it to the book of Jonah. And most of us know that there is a fish in this book, right? So our girls have gone fishing a couple of times. We have not had any luck. Uh, they have not caught a fish yet. But back in the day when I was nine years old, I caught my first fish. My grandparents were so proud. Grandma Wagoner decided she was going to mount this thing. Now listen, this isn't big enough to mount. But when you're grandma, you're persuasive. And so we mounted this fish. And I've always been interested in fishing. And so this story in the book of Jonah catches my attention. In the Jesus Storybook Bible, right? The, the kids reading this book will understand Jonah is a book that has a fish in it. The thing I love about this Bible is that it highlights the point of Jonah. So I, I always ask, give some homework out. What is the purpose of Jonah? So I have different guys. Everybody knows about the fish, but did you know the fish isn't the point? And so I had uh, Sean dig into the book of Jonah this week and answer this correctly. The main point of Jonah shows that God is a compassionate God. As a matter of fact, it is the compassion of God that changes people. That is the main point. And so I want us to understand <clears throat> this morning as we dig through this book, don't just leave with the miracle of a fish saving a man. Leave knowing that the God we serve is the God of compassion and that changes my life, that can change your life. So that's what we're going to dig into. Uh, Sean also mentioned uh, you probably shouldn't run from God or else you'll get eaten by a fish, right? So don't get on the Licking River if you're running from God. Who knows what type of fish God will bring your way uh, with the Licking River. So as we dig in, I want us to see how God's compassion changes sailors, changes a uh, rebellious prophet running from God, changes a city. And listen, this is a word we desperately need today because I think there's a lot of people who are desperate for hope, who are desperate for God and they don't even know it. And it's interesting, you hear a lot of answers and a lot of solutions out there about what we need right now. And Jonah reminds us what we need most desperately is for God to move. And we see, because God is a compassionate God, He does just that. So let's pray. We're going to dig into this book. We're going to knock this out. And let's be transformed by the compassion God has for us. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Open up our eyes and minds and hearts to this Word. Father, help us be blown away by the compassion You have for us. Don't let us just gloss over this and be unmoved. Reach down into our hearts and change us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Number one, what you'll see, God's compassion for sinners enables people to turn to God from idols. Jonah chapter 1. For the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Nineveh is a huge city, about 120 people, 120,000 people. Takes three days to walk through this city. It's large. It's a powerful city. It's the city of the nation's power. And Jonah's called to go and deliver a message. Now, just real quick on Jonah. Jonah's been delivering God's word before. He went to the king Jeroboam, but he was an Israelite. He was more comfortable going to his people instead of another nation in another city. 
And so Jonah hears that God's calling him, but listen to what Jonah does. Verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Get this in mind. You have a man who is called by God, a prophet, a mouthpiece for the Lord, running from the presence of God. And that could be some of us in the room, some of us listening online. You know Jesus, but you're running from what he's calling you to do. So we keep reading. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, and the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, right? The sailors, these guys know the ocean. This is how they make their living. They're not afraid of some wind and some waves and some storms, but there was something different about this one. And it says that they were terrified. Each one cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in their ship into the sea to lighten it for them so it could float, not sink. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Don't you love that? So, so these guys are grasping at straws. Hey, well, maybe my God will save us. Nope, it won't. Maybe this God will save us. No, it won't. Right? They're, they're calling out to all of these idols in their life, and then they get to Jonah. And they're like, hey, maybe your God can have mercy on us. They are banking on the compassion of God. That God sees them in this storm and will rescue them. That's a beautiful picture. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and it fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? They, they start interrogating him. He's like, What did you do? Jonah responds in verse 9, He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Don't know if you know this. Doesn't take a genius. If God created the sea and you're running from the presence of God and there's a storm on the sea, are you in trouble? Yes. Verse 10, the sailors realized this. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Don't you think it's interesting? Everybody on the boat's looking for salvation, but Jonah's asleep. Everybody on the boat's looking for hope, but the man who knew the God of hope is fast asleep. Verse 11, they said to him, What shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to him, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Right? Joe's like, ah, you want to solve your problem? Throw me overboard. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. You've got to understand the storm that is against them. They can't even get back to the land. They've already thrown their cargo overboard. These guys are desperate. Their gods can't save them. They can't save themselves. So let's see what happens. Verse 14, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, Lay not innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah, 
hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then check out what happens. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Do you see how God's compassion on these mariners, saving their lives, and their compassion changes their eternity? You see, the compassion of God changes people. These are hard sailors, tough dudes, but their idols didn't hold up. And they couldn't save themselves. And when that happens, you can turn to God. And you see, that's the same thing that happens today. And here's the deal. There are so many idols that we are leaning on and holding on to. So many false gods that we think can save us. And one thing that has happened during this time is we've realized that our idols won't make it. Some of us think that our health will hold up, but we found out with COVID-19, and if you live long enough, health is not going to last. can't be your idol. It can't deliver you. cannot save. Some of us think if we just get the right job or more money or the right savings account, we'll be rescued, but money can't save. Some will rely on athletic ability or mental ability or IQ, but at the end of the day, none of that can deliver. All of those are idols. And when the storm comes, and storms will come, your idols will be destroyed. You'll call out, nobody will answer. That's what the mariners learned right here. That's what the sailors learned right here. Their gods were not reliable when the storm came. When they needed them the most, nobody was there to answer. And when they failed, they tried to save themselves and they couldn't do it. A lot of people are trying to do that. Live good enough life. Try hard enough. You think you'll be all right. You can't. No idols can rescue you. You can't save yourself. So what do you do? Do what the mariners did. They feared God, sacrificed to him, believed in God. And they were rescued. So I, I want you to see this because it takes something powerful to deliver people from idols. So growing up cutting grass, we have these mowers. They're 60-inch decks, right? Five feet of mowing power. And you're going, and, and on this deck is you have three blades. So you're mowing grass. Eventually the blades get dull and you have to take them off the mower, sharpen the blades. Not a problem. Not a problem unless you're like me and sometimes hit things. So if you hit a stick... The mower will go through that stick, but it tightens that blade. And then the worst, molehills, all that dirt, when the deck hits that, boom, you see the dirt pile go off, and I just, I, oh, no, this is going to be bad. Dad's going to say something about this one. It would help me get the blades off because it would get stuck. And so Dad would be under the mower, pulling this, pulling this. He's like, Ben, what did you hit with this one? Dad, it's multiple choice, and it's going to be D, all of the above. Right? And he's pulling and pulling and trying to get this. Couldn't get it. And he goes, ah, I've got something. And he goes to his workbench toolbox, pulls out a breaker bar. Now, a breaker bar is just a piece of metal that will move bolts. And he gets down, puts it on, and starts turning this breaker bar. And sure enough, boom, it pops, starts turning, blade comes off. Now, this is important. The blade wasn't coming off like it normally would because it was stuck. It needed something stronger than the stuck. You and I 
have idols in our lives and they get up and wrap around like weeds and they're sticky. And you need something stronger than the idol to get rid of it. And the only one that can do that is Jesus. And here's the awesome part. The compassion of Christ is seen on the cross. When he goes to the cross, he's like the breaker bar. He turns people from idols to the living God. You see this in the Bible. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, it says, You have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for Him, the Son of Heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So if you're taking notes, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, that's a blueprint. This is what we should be doing every day of our lives, turning from idols to God because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, this is very, very important, right? The mariners, the sailors, they had a lot of things in their lives that were keeping them from God, the idols, the false gods, and their own effort. And God was able to rip those out of their lives. This is my prayer for people in Covington. There's a lot of idols in our city. Power is an idol in our city. Selfishness, self-seeking, pleasure is an idol in our city. Pleasure going at it the wrong ways is an idol in our city. Elevation of self is an idol in our city. We love to tell others how great we are, how important we are, how vital we are. And so all of these idols are, are sneaking in and, and they're consuming lives. But when the storms come, they won't last. And so my prayer is that before the storms come, we learn to believe and fear the true and living God. And man, watch the idols get smashed. So God's compassion, God's compassion for these mariners changes their eternity. But then you also see what he does with Jonah. Jonah's not the hero of this story. He never, ever gets it right. Like the mariners see and hear about God and they turn to God. Soon you'll see a city hears about God. They repent of their sin and trust in that God. The whale listens to God. A plant listens to God. The storm listens to God. The wind listens to God. The lots goes where exactly God wants it to go. But Jonah, God's man, God's prophet, God's spokesman, never listens to God. And yet, God doesn't smash him. It's not like, all right, fine, forget you, I'll just get another. No, he's patient and compassionate towards a rebellious saint. Now here's the cool part of this story. God's compassion for Jonah enables him to give thanks and begin again. And I don't know about you, but all of us in the room need to remember what God has done for us, which should echo in thanksgiving. That's why we sing the songs that we sing. Right? We want to give thanks for what God has done. And all of us in the room need second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And that's what the book of Jonah is all about. Jonah messes up terribly, and yet God says, come on back. Come on back. Get back to work. The God of second chances. And so I want us to see here real quick, running from God, and there might be some in the room, some listening that are running from God right now. Right? It's been a pandemic. 
There's been a lot of chaos going on, and in the middle of the chaos, you stopped walking with God. You're not looking into the Word. You're not spending any time prayer. God has grown cold and distanced to you. God hasn't moved. You have. Maybe it's time to stop running. When Jonah finally stopped running and called out to God, he found that God was compassionate towards him and rescued him. And so I want us to see, when you run from God, number one, you're going to be exhausted. You're created for God, His glory and His purposes. Your joy will be found in God. It is exhausting trying to find a purpose and joy and peace in anything other than God. It is exhausting. It will not last. Storms are coming. But not only is it exhausting, it will leave you exposed. You see, this is exactly what happened in the garden, Adam and Eve. They ran away from the presence of God. They went to the one tree that they shouldn't have gone to. They ate and they were exposed. They knew that they were naked before God. They were distant from God. And Jonah's exposed to the waves. He's trying to stay afloat and he can't. Sin always does that. You don't want to run from the presence of God. Not only will it leave you exhausted, exposed, it will also leave you empty. He begins to sink, and you can see this. Jonah finally sinking under the water, down, down, down. And maybe some of you have that sinking feeling today. You're exhausted, you're exposed, you're empty, and you're wondering, can God hear me here? Here's the good news about Jonah. Underwater, drowning, running from God, he calls out to God, and God hears him. Check out chapter 2. Verse 17 of chapter 1 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. <clears throat> then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. What's Jonah doing? He was running from God. He's like, hey, just throw me overboard. And then when he realized, man, I shouldn't have done that. Is it too late? God says, no, he answers him. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried out, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Why is that important? He's saying, I can get back to your presence. I will look back on your temple where you dwell. Why is he so confident? Because he knows his God is gracious. Steadfast love, merciful, compassionate. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. I love that verse. If you live long enough, you'll experience some times where you feel like you're in the pit. You've messed up. You've blown it. And you wonder, can God hear me here? Will God take me back? And it's in the pit that Jonah finds God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Verse 9, but with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And we look at this and we're blown away by this story. 
As a matter of fact, my grandpa got in trouble at seminary for believing this is an actual story. But Jesus wouldn't have passed the class my grandpa was taking because Jesus believes this is an actual story. He references this. In Matthew chapter 12, check this out. Jesus is speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, right? The, the church people, they're coming at them. They're saying, hey, we need a sign. If you're the Son of God, give us a sign. Well, we already know Jesus has been doing that. When you heal a blind man, you heal a deaf man, when you give ability to a lame man, like Jesus is doing this, and they just want another one and another one. And another. But then check out Jesus' response. Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Verse 39 of chapter 12 in Matthew. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, that's interesting. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. This is the point. We're blown away by this fish coming and rescuing Jonah. But something greater than a fish has come and rescued us. You see the compassion of God by appointing a fish to swallow his prophet and rescue him. How much more do we see the compassion of God of sending his son to spend three days, not in the belly of a fish, but three days in a tomb so that you and I can know God? And we see how Jonah's moved to this prayer of thanksgiving. When's the last time we gave thanks to God for our salvation? My guess is that many of us who have been walking with Christ, this fact that God's compassion shown to us in Christ has grown cold in our hearts, and that has to change. We need to think deeply on the compassion of God that we see in the face of Christ. And when we do, our hearts should move to worship to giving thanks to God because our situation was more desperate than Jonah's. Drowning in the sea, swallowed by a fish, that's pretty bad. But that's nothing when you're drowning in your sin. And for all eternity separated from Christ. That's far worse. And in Christ we have something far better. And then finally, chapters 3 and chapters 4, this is the main point of the text. Chapter 4 gets at it. Chapter 3 introduces it. God's compassion for cities is a call for the church to speak and the city to turn to God. So I, I love this. Chapter 3 is a short chapter. Check out what happens. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, the message I tell you. Now real quick, at first when I, I read this for the first time, I thought maybe Jonah didn't want to go to the city because he's scared to death. These are enemies of Jonah. It's a huge, mighty, powerful city. And look at the message he's got to deliver. Hey, God's going to judge you. God's going to judge you. God's going to judge you. Think about if we send a representative, Mike, we'll send you to Cuff Cath. And you're going to go talk to the football team. Hey, five days till Friday and Holmes is going to whoop you. Holmes is going to whoop you. Holmes is going to whoop you. Do you think that would go well at Cuff Calf? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ain't nobody messing with you. I'm wondering if Jonah's thinking, man, I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to be put to death. I'm going to be kicked out of the city. This thing. But that's not why he didn't go. And then check out what happens to the city. 
So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. So you start walking, you walk for three days, you cover the city. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and called out. This is his message, right? He had one sermon, and this was it. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the word God has for him to deliver. Hey, 40 days, judgment's coming. Pretty simple message, isn't it? Check out how the city responds. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe. So you've got to understand, the mightiest person in the mightiest city hears the news and is humbled. That's the power of the word of God. Covered himself with sackcloth and sat not on the throne again, sat in ashes. Verse 7, he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. He's saying, hey, we are in serious trouble. He said, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. That's a beautiful picture of the gospel. A people hear the word of God, they repent of their sin, and they trust in God. Verse 10, that when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said what he would do to them, and he did not do it. Listen, what happens in Nineveh is what I want to see happen in Covington. And the same God that saved Nineveh will be the same God that saves Covington. And the word of God is powerful. I don't know if we believe that. Because I think if we believed it, our city would be transformed. Let's keep digging in. How do you think Jonah responds? How do you think Jonah... So he delivered a message and the city is saved. People are rescued. He should be jumping in the celebration, right? Check out how Jonah responds. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Right? He's outside. He's pouting. And then it goes on. And he prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah lived this. And he loves the grace of God as long as it's on his own life, but he can't stand it when God is gracious to others. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So I'm thinking, why did God save this dude? Should have let the fish finish him off. But do you see the compassion of God on an evil, violent city and on a rebellious prophet? Do you see the grace of God, the steadfast love of God? This, is why, this book is so important. Because that's the God we worship and serve. And what you will find is God will be a compassionate to you too. Jonah went out of the city, verse 5, went out of the city, the east city, made a booth for himself and sat under the shade till he should see what will come of the city. He's got a front row seat. He's got a front row seat. What's going to happen to this city? Now the Lord appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head. 
save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now, real quick, uh, Mike, you guys know about this, our football team. We have five different stations on the football field. Three of the stations are in the shade. Two of them are in the sun. And listen, the heat is not like what Jonah was experiencing, but it's uncomfortable to be in the group out in the sun. You want to be in the shade. It's about 20 degrees cooler. And so this plant comes up, gives Jonah shade. He's like, ah, oh, I love this plant. But God's not finished. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Whew. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant. You have compassion on the plant for which you did not labor nor make it grow, which came into being a night and perished in a night. God's saying, hey, your priorities are messed up. You care more about this plant that you did nothing for. You didn't create it. You didn't sustain it. And it was only around for a day. And yet you have more compassion on this plant than you do the 120,000 people living in this city. And then he drives it home. And should I not pity, should I not show compassion on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. God's saying, hey, if you don't care about the people, maybe you even care about the animals. God is telling Jonah his priorities are out of whack. It's messed up. And I wonder if that's us. Because when we see the compassion of God, the church should be moved to speak. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You see, there was nothing special about Jonah. He wasn't super eloquent. wasn't super difficult message. He probably looked awful. I don't know about you. When I wake up from sleep for one night, sometimes my hair is messed up if it's long enough. God changed my clothes. Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and then vomited onto the sea. So I'm hoping he got back in and, and washed off a little bit. But the dude's in rough shape. And he says, hey, judgment's coming in 40 days. And the city is rescued. Now, this does two things to me. It gives me hope and a vision for the city. When we see the neighborhoods in Covington with City Heights and Latonia Terrace and 13th and Wallace Woods and, and all of these neighborhoods, the 24 neighborhoods that make up Covington, there's so many responses to what each neighborhood needs. There's one thing that every neighborhood desperately needs, and that's the gospel. Now here's the awesome part. When the gospel shows up, the neighborhood's transformed. Happened with Jonah, happens in Acts, happens today. The problem is not too many people are speaking the gospel. If you've ever been to a basketball game, <clears throat> cheering sections, two cheering sections going back and forth. I love it down at the state tournament, Rupp Arena, they, huge student sections. And what will happen is one team will get a lead and then it looks like it's over. And the other student section will ask them a question. Why so quiet? Right? They've been talking the whole game, but now it's over. You got them beat. 
and you're rubbing it in. Why so quiet? I think the church could be asked this question. Why are we so quiet when it comes to telling others about Jesus? And I know there's a lot of reasons. I don't know enough. I don't want to offend people. Is the gospel power enough? Will people look at me weird? I don't have enough time. Can't fit in the schedule. But when we see the power of the gospel, we see what it does to change people's eternities, to go from hopelessness to hope, from pain to joy, to craziness to peace. How can we not speak the gospel? And I'll leave you with this illustration. Let's say uh, Balin and Camden, come on up here. Balin and Camden, uh, hey, just grab a seat right here. Grab a seat right here. Balin and Camden, just right there, that's good. Balin and Camden, they're stuck on the railroad tracks. Go ahead, sit down. Go ahead, sit down. Yep, Indian style, there we go. They're stuck on the railroad tracks, right? <clears throat> the train's moving this way. I'm the train. It's getting late at night, right? I get to them, let's say, man, it's a little bit chilly out. It's cold. They got short sleeve shirts on and a dress. So Mike sees that. He goes, you know what? I'm going to help these girls out. I'm going to go to the store, get some sweatshirts, hooded sweatshirts. I'm going to get some boots and some gloves and a scarf. And he gives them to them. Did he help the girls? Help them. Will it matter when the train hits? Nope. Then let's say there, there's another... Jaqueline comes by. Jaqueline's cheerleading at Holy Cross, right? The train's coming, you see it. But you know if you stop to help these two girls get off the tracks, you're going to miss your game. You're like, ah, listen, I wish I could help. Maybe somebody else will. I got a game. God knows I'm busy. And she goes to the game. And the train keeps coming. You see, I think the church is doing that a lot. You guys can go back and sit down. Thank you. Hey, both of those people would get you off the tracks, by the way. Mike and Jaquela would rescue you. There's a lot of people sitting on the tracks, and God's wrath is coming. And we're like, you know what? We just need to provide food and try to do jobs and help with three. And, and listen, we're going to do all of that. But if we don't speak up about the gospel, it's like giving two girls some clothes so they're warm on the tracks while a train is coming. Then I also think a problem is we're distracted with misplaced priorities. We think some things are really, really important. There's never going to be a perfect time for you to share the gospel with anybody. But what happens when you do share the gospel? People are transformed. And it's not because you or I are special or eloquent or have great ability. It's because the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And we've got to make that a priority. If you don't make it a priority, you'll be silent when it comes to the gospel. So I just want to ask a question. Nobody raise their hand. Who have you told about Jesus? Who have you spoke the gospel to today, this past week, this past year? And I don't know. I don't know if it should be every day. I don't know if it should be a hundred times a week. But I do know this. We speak about a lot of things to a lot of people. And if the gospel is not getting there, we're a lot like Jonah. Do you know God's called us to make disciples and to be His witnesses? And we can come up with a lot of reasons to run, but we need to stop running.
And so that's what you, you get from the, the book of Jonah. There's really three decisions for us to make. For some of us, we need to turn from idols and trust God. Something's really crept up into your life and has been the main priority. You've made it God in your life, and you need to turn from that. You need to turn and serve the living God. Some of us are running from God. And here's the good news. Stop running. Turn to God, and you will find that He is a compassionate God. He'll save you. You can give thanks and begin again. That's what God does. And then there's a city waiting to hear the gospel. And at our current pace, I don't know if we'll fill up the city of Covington with the gospel. But I do know this. We can ask God to move in our lives and move in the lives of those in our city. The gospel's powerful. It will change this city. It'll change our schools, change our neighborhoods. And it'll lead to a great rejoicing and a new heart in us. So those are the, the three decisions that you get from the book of Jonah. So as you read this, don't go away remembering there was a big fish that swallowed somebody. Go away remembering this. Our God is a compassionate God, and His compassion changes people. Change the mariners, change Jonah, and it changed the city. It'll change you. It's changed me, changing me, and it'll change Covington. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word from Jonah. Lord, thank you for your compassion. And we see it most clearly in the face of Christ. The length that he goes to rescue us, coming to not be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom so that we might be saved. He went to the cross, died and was buried so that we might experience eternal life. Father, I pray that that never grows cold in our hearts. Father, I pray for those who are running from you today to stop running and turn to you, that they may experience your compassion. Pray for those who are following after idols today, that you'll open up their eyes, that they'll turn from idols and turn to you. And Father, I pray for this city. Pray that you fill the city with the gospel. And as people see your compassion, they'll be transformed. You are our hope. Lord, it is a hard time. We ask for wisdom and how to live right now with everything that is going on. Help us think biblically, not according to social media or the news, but by your word. Fill us with your spirit. Help us walk with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.